at City Life Church. Well, we are in a sermon series. We've been in it for many months. It's the longest series that we've ever done in the history of our church. The next slide's going to come up. We are in the home stretch. Tonight, I'm going to do a little bit of part two of agency. That's in the blue. That's where we hit last week. I'm going to tie it into eternal death. And then the red there on the far right is where we're going to wrap it up over the next two weeks. I, I want to do just a brief, a brief recap, but then I want to get in, into tonight's message. Agency is the sense of control that you feel in your life. It's your capacity to influence your own thoughts and behavior and have faith in your ability to handle a wide range of tasks and situations. Your sense of agency helps you to be psychologically stable yet flexible in the face of conflict or change. The ability to take action or to choose what action to take. This is agency. Last week we talked about agency was something that God created in Eden. Some things that were created in Eden were stated, but then there's some things that God expects us to observe. We observed that it was created. Agency was observed. We observe it, and we walked through that last week. We looked at how God himself has agency. We looked at there are thieves in this, in this life that want to take our agency from us. And we came to this conclusion, the agency I have is part of my Imago Dei. Right? Part, part of your Imago Dei, which is a fancy word that all of us are created in the image and likeness of God. That comes out of the creation narrative. Part of my Imago Dei is my agency. I resemble my creator because like him I have agency. God has agency. He created us to have agency. Tonight I want to give you three agency myths. I didn't get to it last week, so I want to finish it tonight. That three myths of agency. Agency is a big conversation right now in our society. The church should be stepping into big conversations that society is happening throughout history. So we're going to step in a little bit tonight. Not going to revisit it, but in, in, in Hebrews 10, 24, talks about provoking one another to love and good works. Some of these myths might be, be, be difficult to hear, but it's important that we press each other and challenge each other and maybe present some things tonight for you to consider. Even if it's something you don't agree with, just be willing to chew on it and weigh it. The first myth is this, the myth that agency should be unchecked. This is a myth, I believe, in our society today. We have agency. We believe in agency. God created agency. Secular society isn't teaching us something that we didn't already know because it's in the creation narrative. God's agency is different from our agency. Our agency flows from free will. God's agency flows from sovereignty. So sovereignty is a kind of free will, but it's different. Free will for us means that we're free to choose and we might make mistakes. But I don't want to say that God has free will. God has sovereignty, which means he does not make mistakes. So whenever he's exercising his agency, it's always flowing from perfection. When I exercise my agency, it flows from free will, which means that it's sometimes flawed. See, I should be using my agency to surrender to his agency because I trust in his sovereignty. Right? I should always use my agency to submit and surrender to his agency because of what I believe and how I trust in his sovereignty. The myth that agency should be unchecked. Listen to this thought. Whenever we use our capacity for agency to rebel against God's sovereignty, our agency is ultimately diminished. Let me say that again. Whenever we use our capacity for agency... To rebel against God's sovereignty, our, our agency is ultimately diminished. 
This is one of the the myths that we get sucked up in is that that the more I exercise my agency, the more free I am. And so when my agency begins to be in conflict with God's agency, I I, I say to myself, this is a myth. I'm I'm not going to submit. I'm not going to surrender because that's antithetical to the idea of agency, but that's not true. Genesis 3, 1 through 6, the serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals the Lord God had made. We know this is referring to Satan, Lucifer, the devil. One day he asked the woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? Of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, the woman replied. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said you must not eat it or even touch it. And if you do, will you die? You won't die, the serpent says. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it. And you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. The woman was convinced. She saw that the tree was beautiful and it looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom it would give her. And she took some of the fruit and ate it. And then she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it too. Now, if you don't know the rest of the story, you can find that in the beginning of the Bible in Genesis 3. And you can keep reading. But what we know is that because they disobeyed God, there was a spiritual death. They had to leave paradise, and then the story of humanity begins. It is the very first time recorded in the Bible for us. It's the very first time in human history when mankind, humankind, used their agency to rebel against God's agency. And then in the aftermath of that, they were not more free. They were less free. Agency that is used to rebel against God will always lead to bondage. It will never lead to freedom. It will never lead to freedom. Number two, the myth that agency should elevate my best interest. Myth number two, the myth that agency should elevate my best interest. Should agency sometimes elevate our best interest? Sure it should. Sure it should. It just can't always be about our best interest. Sometimes we're supposed to use our agency to elevate the interest of others. See, being a disciple of Jesus requires us to sometimes use our agency to sacrifice our interests by our choosing, willingly to serve the interests of others, even those we might consider to be an enemy. Matthew 5, 39 to 42, but says, But I say, do not resist an evil person. If someone slaps you on the right cheek, offer the other cheek also. If you are sued in court and your shirt is taken from you, give your coat too. If a soldier demands that you carry, which was a real thing in Roman times, as they lived there occupying Israel, they could require anybody, anybody who wasn't a Roman citizen, to carry their pack for them for a mile. Listen to what Jesus says. If a soldier demands that you carry their gear for a mile, carry it for two. Give to those who ask and don't turn away from those who want to borrow. Jesus isn't talking about being taken advantage of. He's not talking about being abused here. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, hey, make sure that sometimes you use your agency to serve the best interest of other people. Whether it's convenient or not, whether it's someone you like or not, whether it's an enemy or not, whether or not society says that you should or not, use your agency at times to serve the interests of others. I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but in Mark 15, 21 to 22, we have the incredible story of Simon and Cyrene being told 
by the Roman soldiers who were marching Jesus to his death, who stumbles under the weight of the burden of the cross, which in and of itself is a powerful picture, and forces Simon of Cyrene to carry this cross for Jesus for him. Now, if you've been around church again for any amount of time, you, you, you know a lot about this idea of Jesus saying to us that we've got to be willing to bear our own cross, right? There's burdens that God's going to give to us in this life. There, there's a cross. We can't carry the cross that Jesus carried, but he does give us our turn to carry crosses that he has designed for us. There's burdens. There's sacrifice. This is part of the Christian experience. What I, what I love about this story is that Simon here is asked to carry a cross that doesn't belong to him. This is part of the Christian experience. There are going to be times where Jesus asks you to carry someone else's cross. You can't carry it forever because it doesn't belong to you. Just like at some point Simon had to give that cross back to Jesus. right? But there might be times where, where because you are a devoted follower of Christ, that he's going to ask you to use your agency to come along and pick up someone else's cross for a few steps, to walk with them for a little while. Whether or not it's a cross that you want to bear, whether or not it's a cross that you would choose to bear. Can I tell you, this is one of the reasons why multicultural church is so hard. I'm going to do a little mini-series in September on being a multicultural church. We are a multicultural church. We, 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 we don't want to say we're a diverse church. We said that for a long time, and what we realized, we were visibly diverse, but we were not relationally diverse. And the reason why we weren't relationally diverse is, is because we weren't doing a good job of carrying crosses for one another. See, if you're a divis- visibly diverse church, you all bring your crosses in together and, and you want everybody to acknowledge the cross that you carry, but you're not willing to acknowledge the cross that somebody else carries. Come on. It's hard. Part of being a multicultural church means that you're, you have generational diversity. The music here at this church, if you look like me and your birthday is similar to mine, is not for you. It's for the next generation so that when it's time for us to pass the baton, that they will be here. You you can't ask the next generation to not have anything that they have ownership of in the house and expect them to wait their turn. Now, we grew up under that mindset, but it was broken. It was broken. So, So for us, the music is a generational tether. Now, for some of you, the music is beyond this idea of a generational tether. For some of you, it's, it's, it's culturally difficult. You might have grown up in a church and the first time somebody walked onto a stage with an acoustic guitar and began to sing a song by Chris Tomlin, you thought the world was coming to an end. And you, and you said to yourself, if they ever get rid of the choir robes, I'm out of here, right? And maybe that's why you're here tonight. Sometimes the music for us is culturally difficult. It can be hard. We, we get that. But everything about the church experience should not just be catering to your preference. If everything about the church, I mean everything from A to Z, is about you, then you, I'm telling you, then you do not go to a multicultural church. You go to a homogenous church. You go to a church of sameness. But that's not us here at City Life. 
we're going to challenge you sometimes to use your agency to serve the agency of someone else. Giving tens of thousands of dollars a year to overseas missions. See, this is part of being multicultural. It means that you have a global view of the kingdom of God. A global view. It's not just about us here on this continent, in this nation. It means that we're going to use our agency to serve the interests of others, even maybe people that we're never going to meet until we get to heaven. Meeting needs that we maybe we don't even fully understand. The myth that agency should elevate my best interest or my best interest only ever. There's going to be times where you see things, that you hear things that maybe are confusing to you or maybe that you don't understand. We preached on this not too long ago, and I'm going to keep challenging you. When you see something or hear something that, that troubles, don't step into a, a circle of concern. Step into a circle of curiosity. Because the more you step into a cir- circle of curiosity, the less you will step into a circle of concern. Sometimes we're supposed to be the Simon of Cyrene that's willing to pick up a cross that does not belong to us. Maybe even one we don't understand and carry it for a step or two. The third myth is this. Is my, this is one that could be problematic for some of you. The, 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 but this is my invitation. Let's have a conversation. Right? This is part of the culture of City Life Church. Let's sit down and reason with one another. The myth that agency should determine my pronouns. This is a conversation that's happening in society right now and has been happening for a long time. The church should be present in that conversation in a loving way, in a caring way, in an empathetic way. There's so many things that God has given us what we believe answers for. These are treasures. We should not be hoarding those. We should be sharing them liberally, but with love and compassion and empathy. Agency is given to me by God not to serve my inclinations, but rather to govern them. See, he gives me agency so so I can have authority over myself. Over myself. Ethan's moving to Charlottesville on Monday. Headed to UVA. And we were there for orientation when we registered, you had to go online and you had to list what your pronouns were. And so when you got your name tag, my name tag said, said Fred Michaud, and it said he, him, and his. Right? These are the pronouns I'm comfortable with. And I think to my, the next time I do that, I'm not making light of it, but I'm, my pronouns I'm going to choose are me and mine. We're going to put that on my name tag, right? I'm going to have conversations about the gospel all day. Tell me what that means, right? Right? There's ways that you can creatively enter into these conversations in a way that brings Jesus to the moment. Not making light of others, not making fun of theirs, but if, if, if society is talking about this idea of self-expression, then find ways to lovingly, not in a mocking way, but express who you are as a devoted follower of Christ. It'll spur conversation. This is a book I want to recommend. It's called Embodied by Preston Sprinkle. I don't know what camera. What camera am I? Can I do this one so people can see it on home? Right here, Embodied by Preston Sprinkle. This is incredible. It will give you a Ph.D. understanding in terminology, phrases, understanding situations 
read through it to the end. I love how he writes because you don't know where he's a Christian. You don't know where he's going to land. And so the whole time I'm reading, I'm like, I, I hope I agree with this guy because I really like what he has to say. And I'm not going to tell you because you've got to read it yourself. Such a good book. Such a good book. I, I believe that when you and I are created, that God, in his sovereignty, as an expression of his agency, has assigned to each of us a gender by God's choosing and by his choice. And, and, and that gender is visually observable in certain ways, in certain manners, that then dictate to me my sexuality. This is what I believe. This is what I believe that the Bible teaches us. And, and we should bring that conversation into the marketplace of ideas, again, not arrogantly, not in a way that demeans and mocks and makes fun of, but in a way that shares. You can, you can share truth and be humble at the same time. Those two things are not supposed to be mutually exclusive. It's interesting, whenever Jesus was angry, it was always with church folk. You ever notice that? It was always the religious people that he got angry with. How have we gotten that backwards 2,000 years later? At some point, you have to decide what you're going to believe about the Bible. These books are down here, are free for you, those three. You can come get them now if you want to, if you're brave enough. This is one of the best books I have ever read that talks about what the Bible is and how we should understand it. It's Touchpoint by Bob Santos, who I just, he's, I'm, I'm, I, he's a hero of mine. His, his mind is brand. I just found out he moved just outside of Richmond. I was like, this is great. I'm going to stalk Bob. Yeah. There you go. Come on. He talks about the Bible being inspired. He talks about the Bible being authoritative. And he talks about the Bible being infallible. That these are the, the beginning of how we should understand Scripture through those three things. Why am I saying that? Because what I'm sharing to you about what I believe in regards to gender and sexuality, it's, it's because I'm going to use my agency to surrender to his agency because I trust in his sovereignty. Because I trust in his sovereignty. And the Bible teaches me all of those things. You, 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 you at some point have to make a decision as to whether or not this book is going to be something that you engage with or is it going to be something that you give yourself to. It begins with engaging, but if you engage with it long enough, like Bob Santos talks about, at some point you, you give yourself to it because you do believe that it is God-breathed. God wants you to understand that you have agency, but he wants you to understand why he gave it to you. Now I'm going to pivot here with my, the time I have remaining, and I want to pivot on how agency is connected to eternal death. I'm not connecting it to the last thing that I was talking about. This isn't a sideways sermon, right? I don't want you to be misunderstood here. I'm connecting it to everything that I've said over the last two weeks. The diagram's going to pop back up. Right? This is important to us. It's why we've been in this series. 
The message of the gospel from beginning to end to Genesis to Revelation. Over the, one, one of the weeks, I haven't decided yet, I'm going to do just the whole thing in one, in, in, in one sermon, which we've done before. But you and I are born into this world on this humankind side, on the humankind side. And everything in us longs to be on the other side with God. Everything inside of us longs to be there. And eternal death, this is important. Because this Bible that I believe that's inspired and infallible and authoritative says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. See, we're born into this world and it doesn't take us long to realize we can use our agency to serve ourselves. And we, and we spend all of our time serving self with agency. We're separated from God. We don't know any better. And then all of a sudden, God begins to show us how we look like to him. And he says, hey, you got a chance to make this right. you got a chance in this life to choose a different path and a different way. I'm, I'm willing to actually change your heart. That's right. This idea of a new heart. He's willing to forgive us. He's willing to promise us eternal life. But you know what he does? He says, this agency that I've given to you, this, this ability to choose this authority that you have, I want you to use that agency, to use that ability to choose, to choose the path of forgiveness that I offer to you. Eternal death, listen to me, what the Bible describes as hell is God acquiescing to our agency. Eternal death, what the Bible describes as hell is God acquiescing to our agency. He's saying to you and to me, I'm going to let you decide. I'm going to let you choose what you want. Which means that he's giving us the opportunity to choose to be separated him for all eternity. Let, let, me, let, me, let me tell you what, Jer- I love these verses in Jeremiah. Jeremiah 1, 4 to 5. You need to get you some Jeremiah if you haven't read Jeremiah in a while. It says, the Lord gave me this message. Listen to what it says. I knew you before I formed you in your mother's womb. And before you were born, I set you apart and appointed you as a prophet to the nations. Now, this is a word for Jeremiah, but it's also a word for each of you. It's a word for every person. Every person is known by God. Every person is set apart by God, and every person is appointed by God. That's why at some point in your life, you begin to realize there's a desire and a feeling that's stirring inside of you. You might not recognize that it's what Jeremiah talks about, but it's what Jeremiah talks about. That every person's deepest need and greatest desire, the hunger and the thirst of their soul, is to know God and to be known by Him. You're created with that, that ache inside of you. You went out, you know what else you're created with? You're created with this feeling that you're special. Now, the world oftentimes tries to beat that out of you, but there is something inside of you. you. You spend some time around young children and the world hasn't beat it out of them yet. I don't care. I've been on mission trips all around the world. Children, there's something inside of them. They realize that they're special. Right? They've been set apart. There's nobody in the world that's like you. Oh, oh, there's nobody from the beginning of time who's ever been in this world who's like you. Young person, if you're listening to this, you need to hear this. There's nobody that's ever going to live 
who's like you. You're set apart. God made you so special, so, and that's inside of you. You feel it. There's an ache inside of you to know God and to be known by him. There's this, this desire for the world to know that you're special because you are. And then this last part, you're appointed. Something inside of all of us longs, we believe in destiny, that we have a purpose, that something we're supposed to do something in this world. All of those feelings that you have that stir in you, guess who put them there? The creator of the universe. In his sovereignty, used his agency to create you. He knows you, he set you apart, and he's appointed you for a purpose. Now, why am I spending time on that when I'm talking about eternal death? Because rejecting God means that we are rejecting all of those things. Rejecting him means that we're saying, I don't want to have anything to do with any of that. And I believe that all the language, which I'm going to read as a list to you in a moment, where the Bible talks about hell, I believe what the Bible is describing, listen to me, what the Bible is describing is an existence for all eternity where the opportunity to know God and to be known by Him is taken from you forever. When we die, all of these longings inside of us, they do not go away. They do not go away. So in this world, when I reject Christ, when I reject his offer of forgiveness, when I reject the offer of reconciliation, and I say to God, I don't want to have anything to do with you, this desire to know him and to be known by him is still there. This, this, this feeling of being special is still there. This feeling of needing a purpose is still there. And if we die in this life without embracing Christ, we step into an eternity where there's no opportunity for those desires to be fulfilled forever. It's sobering. It's sobering. Give me that slide that just shows the chasm. This is you and me, people. This is you and me. Acts 4.12 says, There's no other name under heaven given amongst men whereby we must be saved. The only way you're ever going to know God and be known by him is through Christ. The only way that you're, you're ever going to see this feeling of being special and, and, and unique, being discovered, is through Christ. The, the only way you're going to know your purpose, why God put you on this earth, is through Christ. And, and then, not only, right, this is the promise of heaven, not, not only do we get to know that here and now, but then we get to step into eternity, and then for the rest of our days and for all eternity, guess what? We get to know God and, and, and be known by Him. We get to have this feeling in a heavenly place of realizing how special we really are and how special everyone else is around us. And I'm a firm believer that not only do we have a purpose here, but we have a purpose there. In fact, I would argue that whatever your purpose here, it's getting you ready for your purpose there. If I use my agency to reject everything that God offers me, including a relationship with him, hell becomes my only alternative. Hell is an eternal death because I am choosing an existence void of God and without the possibility of ever again knowing him or being known by him. And then everything else, and I know because I did it for a long time, 
I didn't make a vow of devotion to Christ until I was 23 in December of 1990. There's a whole lot of things that this world offers as a substitute. None of those things are available in eternity. You're only left with an aching desire that will never be met. Again, I'm not going to go there for the sake of time, but in Luke 16, 19 to 31, Jesus tells the story of a man named Lazarus and a rich man. And some people say, no, that's just a parable. But I'm of the school of thought, and I'm not alone here. It's not a parable because you cannot read in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and find one parable where God assigns someone a name. He does not. And the reason he doesn't assign them a name is because you're supposed to see yourself in the different characters of the parable. So when we get here to Luke 16, I don't think he's talking about a parable. I think he's talking about history, something that's actually taken place. Again, we're not going to go there for the sake of time, but if you have questions about what the Bible says about hell and why do we believe what we believe about hell, you can download these notes. You can download the, the, the notes from our sermon every single week, but this week there's like two pages of a study that, that I've done that I taught years ago here at City Life that, that gives an exhaustive study of, of what hell is and where we draw all of our beliefs from. But I just want to give you this brief recap. This is 10 descriptions of hell in the Bible. Listen to, listen to these. It talks about it as a place of destruction, a fiery furnace, an unquenchable fire, weeping and gnashing of teeth, a place of rest, condemnation, separation from God, outer darkness, lake of burning sulfur, and eternal suffering, and all the textual references that go with that. Why does the Bible use such strong language when it comes to hell? I would argue you can't find language strong enough to describe an eternity where we would exist, where the opportunity to know God and to be known by Him is gone forever. Where the opportunity to feel how special we are and to know how special is gone forever. The opportunity for my eternal purpose to know it and to walk in it is gone forever. It's gone forever. I'm a firm believer. I don't think God sends us there. I think we choose to go there. And God is acquiescing to the agency that he's given to you and to me. I'm going to invite the band to come up. This is a phrase you're going to get tired of hearing me say, or actually what I should say is I hope you never get tired of hearing me say this phrase. I am an immortal, eternal being created by God to live and rule and reign with him forever. I am an immortal, eternal being created by God to live and rule and reign with him forever. I hope you learn that phrase. I hope you memorize that phrase I hope you speak that phrase over yourself. If you're a parent of young children, I hope you start speaking that phrase over them. Right? Your identity begins right there. It begins right there. I am an immortal, eternal being created by God to live and rule and reign with Him forever. Forever. I'm telling you, once your heart gets a hold of that, hell doesn't have a chance with you. Doesn't have a chance. Stand with me as you look back over to the story of your life. I hope you can find a moment in time. I can find, when I look back over the story of my life, I can find a moment in time. December of 1990, where I made a vow of devotion to Christ, where I took my first spiritual breath, where I was born into the family of God, where I jumped across that chasm. Come on. Because of what Jesus did for me. As you look back over to the story of your life, you got to find a, a moment. you got to find a time. you got to find a season where you said, you know what, Jesus? I'm saying yes to you. I'm saying yes to you. 
Come on, I invite you to close your eyes. I just want to create a moment of privacy here. Just every so often, here, we just want to create a moment of privacy. If you're at home, you can do the same. You can close your eyes. It's okay. You don't have to feel awkward or odd. Just create a moment of privacy for the people that you're in the room with. And, and if you're going to answer no to this question, at the end of this song, at the end of the service, there's going to be some of us that are down here at the front, and I'm going to just invite you to come pray with us. We just want to talk with you. Even if you don't know if you're ready to make a vow of devotion to Christ, maybe you just have questions, and we could put some resources in your hands. But just just as you've got your eyes closed, if, if as you look back over to the story of your life, if you cannot find a moment in time where you've made a vow of devotion to Christ, I'm going to invite you to raise your hand where you are. Just, just raise it up just for a minute. Just raise it up. If you can't find a moment in time, as you live back over to the story of your life, if you're watching from online right now, you can raise your hand in the digital world by clicking a button that's on your screen and go into a private chat room. You can ask for prayer, and you can start this conversation with someone right now. With someone right now. Father, I pray for every person that's here. that we would live the rest of our lives trusting and believing and knowing that the Lord of heaven's armies is here. And that even in the midst of our chaos, we can learn to be still and know that you are God. I pray for the person that's listening to the sound of my voice tonight who's always had an aching and a longing inside of them that they didn't understand. And now they know it's an aching and a longing, God, to know you and to be known by you. A, a person that the world maybe has tried to beat it out of them, that there's this flicker of a flame that says, I'm special. That for people that are can hear the sound of my voice, that are convinced that there is a, a purpose that they've been put into this world to fulfill. Jesus, we know that we're going to find the answers to all those questions through you and through you alone. Thank you for the cross that you carried for us 2,000 years ago that we would never be able to pick up. And for those of us who've made a vow of devotion to you, Christ, for those of us who are following after you with all that we are, I pray, I pray that we would be a people of your ways. May we be a people of your ways. Not just because of what we believe about you, but because we're choosing to live our life how you patterned for us. In Jesus' name, come on, and everybody said amen. Let's worship in this one song together.